Hello and welcome to another edition of the Duct Tape Marketing Podcast. This is your host, John Jantz, and my guest today is Doc Searles. He is the senior editor for Linux Journal, a Harvard Berkman Center fellow, and one of the co-authors of the Clue Train Manifesto, probably one of, uh, certainly in the online world, probably one of the most read quoted and misinterpreted books possibly uh, ever written. And I'd love to hear your, your take on that, too. Oh, Doc, yeah. So. But, well, that's true. I, I, thanks for, for noticing all three of those things. Um, I think, I mean, I, it was interesting for years, I, not even years, I mean, months I watched uh, when Google Books came along. Um, Google Books will tell you how many books a given word will appear in. And, and there was about one more book per day had the word clue train in it, which didn't exist before 1999. And, but they stopped counting at 5,000. So it's probably increasing still at about a book a day past 5,000. Um, it's probably way past 5,000 at this point. Um, but at the same time, most of them are marketing books, and it's kind of an anti-marketing screed. I mean, uh, clue train was kind of hammered against marketing as usual um, when it was written in 1999, because back then it was all about capturing customers and treating them like slaves and you know and pushing things at people and the rest of it and and now what we're seeing is you know the same kind of thing happening only now personally you well, know, it's well marketers are great crazy. at taking um what they read and putting it in their own context so for example uh markets or conversations oh okay great we can create some tools so we can talk at them exactly it's, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, and, and conversational marketing now is 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 all about um, it is all about you follow people's conversations on Facebook and Twitter, and then when they say something that looks like what you want to sell, you go bother them about that. <laughs> um, you know, or you see that you know you're, you know, if you're even if you're a small business, you know, you you know you see that uh, you you watch and see that you know some guy that you know is you know bought some flowers or says he bought some flowers on. On uh, on Twitter, and you want to bother them about that, you know, as if people do want to be bothered. It's kind of crazy, but that's that's kind of where CRM is going these days. You know, it's it's all about social CRM. See what people are doing socially, and yeah, you know, they'll, generally they'll most, tell you how to sell them, right? Yeah, exactly. And most people don't want to be social with a seller, you know, except that when they're buying something and only briefly, um, you know. So it's yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, we're 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 still barking up the same the same tree <laughs> i suppose that we well, were t- well and i think what what we're going to talk about your new book of course the intention economy when customers take charge and i and i i see this maybe as a a an advancement in your thinking on that that uh that that or maybe a reaction you know to what you're calling this this social selling so um i guess it's always a good idea to start with a definition what what is the intention economy well, uh, j- j- just a little more background on where, where the book comes from. Um, in, in a way, it is a follow-up on Clue Train, uh, but it's actually the wor- it reports on the work that I've done primarily through the Berkman Center uh, after I became a fellow there in 2006 uh, to sort of you know move forward what Clue Train brought up in the first place, which was the need for markets to become much more conversational in the sense that they were would be two-way and not just pushing just not not just marketing pushing things at customers but but equipping the demand side to deal in a in a in a in a fully empowered way with the supply side and so 
what the intention economy is about as as a book and why it's subtitled when customers take charge is that there is a lot of work going on now uh, a lot of it of which i've encouraged uh, through the work at the Berkman center um toward equipping the buy side toward equipping you and me as customers with tools that make us both independent of sellers but better able to engage with them so for example, we can advertise our own needs and wants in the marketplace, but in a way that maintains our anonymity and our control over the message, as it were, um, or assert our own terms of service, saying, for example, don't track me or give me back my data when I want it, or to be able to maintain our own relationships in our own way, excuse me, our own ways, for example, by being able to um, change our address or our phone number with many vendors at once with one move because we've got the tools for doing that. So, so there are probably about 40 companies that I know of so far that are working on equipping individuals with these kinds of tools and capabilities. And, um, and because that development's taking place and because I really want business to understand the work that's going on, uh, I wrote the book. So that's, well, that's well, what it's about. Well, and I, and I think it, it's, it's it's an extremely interesting concept because, I mean, you, you put customers take charge. I mean, there always has been a control issue, I think. It used to be we make a whole bunch of stuff and they come and buy it. And, and I think what you're suggesting is that we can now say, here's the stuff I want. Somebody make it. Yeah, yeah there's certainly that. and and but, but there's actually there's so many more ways that you can look at this. So, I mean, for example, a few minutes ago um, – my wife and I walked to Harvard Square. We actually walked five miles, taking the long way to Harvard Square because we like the exercise. And it's a perfect day in Boston. We get about twenty of those per year, so we wanted to be out during one of them. And and while we were there, we decided, well, let's pick up some eggs at uh, at the drugstore. We normally would have gone to a grocery store, but we were passing the CVS drugstore, and um, and the, the eggs were two dollars and nineteen cents. And so the person behind the cash register wanted my wife's loyalty card um, with CVS. And in order to get the, the price that was posted, the price posted was two nineteen. Oh, but she couldn't find her loyalty card. She didn't have it with her because she has a, in her purse, like a hundred loyalty cards, but in their own little, you know, in their own separate wallet, as it were. And, and, and because she didn't have it, she had to pay 10 cents more, um, which is kind of a, kind of a diss, you know, I mean, well, and she's like, we're not really loyal to them, you know, we really don't care, you know, why impose that inconvenience, where if you look at it from the other angle, if we're managing our relationship with them, it would be cool if we could say, you, you know, you know, I'm just going to take this one card in my wallet and, and tap it on this Google thing that you've got by the checkout uh, counter, um, so you'll know, you know what, I, I've actually bought about $300 worth of stuff from your store in the last year. We actually do have a degree of loyalty. And in fact, here are some things that we'd like you to be able to do. Um, you know, isn't that interesting to you? But we're in charge of that. You know, that's, you know, because I've got a tool on my side that can express both real loyalty and real preferences and real history and other things that might actually be of interest to you, the seller, rather than whether or not I've got some silly card that you're forcing me to carry around that's busy maintaining for you a bunch of probably incomplete information about me 
as a customer. And and so what we're working on is is you know both the tools and the ceremonies that can possibly take place in a retail environment where the customer can actually bring a lot more to the table than than they have been so far. That's that's probably a much more long-winded answer than you were looking for, but well, um, not not at all. But could you make a case for saying that that a bit of that is going on in the Facebooks of the world? You know, where people basically routinely and willingly share what they're listening to, what they ate, what they bought. I mean, is there a degree of that that's going on there, or is that just us unwittingly sharing private data for misuse? I think it's the latter. I think it's almost entirely the latter. It's it is it is us unwittingly shedding data for private use by Facebook and really very poorly. Um, uh, I mean, I've got like nine thousand friends on Facebook. I've got I'm not very active there, but I'm certainly known. And and you know, I've done a pretty good job of filling out a profile. I have a very public life uh, online anyway. I've been around, I've been active online since the mid nineties. Uh, you ought to be able to know, for example, that I'm married. I get ads, you know, ads every time I turn on the ads there, and I usually turn them off because I use Adblock Plus because they're annoying to look at. But when I am willing to see them, what they tell me is, A, I'm old, B, I'm single, uh, C, I like cheerleaders, and therefore I would like a Ford Mustang. That's one I got yesterday. Um, D, that I'm willing to be spammed yet again by classmates.com, which is, you know, knows this much about me that I am uh, old, and mm-hmm. therefore I would like to look at a yearbook from 1969. Right. Or, and they're not even that precise. They, they just give a whole bunch of years there. And as you dive down, if you, you know, as I did yesterday, I thought, well, I'm going to try and follow this. It doesn't look like classmates.com, but I'll bet it is way under here. Very scammy company. Um, I get down to it. Yep, sure enough, it's classmates.com spamming me once again with an ad uh, that conceals who they really are on Facebook. Facebook does an awful job of guessing what you really want. Once in a while, they'll get some things right. Google does too. And yet there's this myth going on in the world right now on, on the sell side that it is actually possible for these big companies hiring up every quant in the universe, um, which they are. There's, they're, if you are a math whiz, you have full employment in New York, Boston, or San Francisco um, going to work for these big advertising companies, guessing at what customers might want so you can advertise at them. And this is a, this is a huge bubble, which I, I say in the book. Um, and, and it's very misguided. And it's very um, – it, it doesn't do a very good job of what any one of us could do on our own, which is say – what the hell we actually do want when we do want it, which well, is not. I, I would argue yeah. that it's probably doubled the accuracy from one percent to two percent, wouldn't? you say? Yeah, well, <laughs> but there you go. But, still, but nobody wants to look at the waste. I mean, you know, there was an article somewhere yesterday showing here are the sizes of the data centers that Facebook is going to have to build with their new billions in order to manage, you know, all of the connections they have with all of these people that that they've um, that they're busy following around. Um, and, and, you know, it, it's an enormous expense. Same with Google. I mean, you know, the, the difference between Google and fa- what Google and Facebook are doing and what a power plant would do, mm-hmm. or, you know, most companies that have a high overhead, um, infrastructure would do is that we don't know where they're putting these things and they're really fairly quiet about them. But in fact, Google and Facebook have these enormous data centers, 
um, Facebook doesn't yet, but they will um, more and more, um, that are going in all over the, you know, in, a, in strategic locations around the world um, in order to manage the mountains of data that they're gathering on people and the, mount- and the zillions of connections that they're making. Um, and, you know, and they're making money. I mean, there, there is money to be made there, but the waste involved is just colossal. And, and if you look at a market as a place where buyers and sellers can interact in a productive way, having a giant infrastructure that's devoted to nothing but guesswork, when, my gosh, we've got 15 years, 17 years of history telling us they're not going to get much above 2%. And when they do, they fall into something that um, psychologists and, for that matter, puppeteers and uh, animation studios call the uncanny valley, which is this weird space between when you know something is outright false and when it's just creepily a little bit too human, um, we're going to start bolting from that. We're going to start saying, you know what? You guys are creeping me out. I don't, I don't want you to know that, um, you know, uh, you know, that I, you know, that I, that I like the color green even, you know, or, you know, and, and of course what everybody every male's fear is, which is that you're going to start telling me about the porn that I'm watching or whatever else, you know, that's, and it's inevitable that sooner or later there are going to be stories of people who are, you know, stalked or otherwise harmed by the robotic following that, that Facebook is doing. Uh, So anyway, well, well, so, so let's flip this around a little bit, you know, how does a company win with this change? Instead of you know what are they doing wrong? What would be uh, what would be example of a company that embraces this and starts to put in the experience that uh, that would attract people that you've just described? I think well, first of all, there we need the tools on on the user side. Um, so it, one of the tough things with the book um, and in writing the book is that it's still real early. The, these tools are. You know, I list like 40 companies that are working on things. Some of them are personal data stores and lockers and vaults or what um, an analyst firm in Germany calls, uh, this name Kuppinger Cole, calls life management platforms. Hmm. Um, all the quantified self stuff going on right now, if you look up quantified self or QS, these are people keeping track of, you know, say their their blood pressure or their yeah. you know, diabetic values or, or their you know, running, you know, with RunKeeper or Fitbit or DigiFit or any of these other companies, Zio sleep monitors, uh, Withings scales that that uh, by Wi-Fi keep track of all your, you know, how your weight is fluctuating. All that kind of stuff is is sort of building up on the customer side. How to express that yet is isn't there? But I would the the main thing I would do on on the uh, you know on the company side is watch what these developers are doing and, you know, and asking them, you know, reaching out to them. Um, uh, there's a company called Personal. There's another one called Singly, uh, Kinetics, um, uh, uh, the customer's voice in, in the U.K. There's a lot of stuff happening in the U.K. and in Europe. Um, it isn't, there really isn't that much you can do other than watch and participate in the development conversations taking place. Because the tools, frankly, aren't there yet on this on on the cell side. None of the CRM systems are embracing VRM yet. Yeah, still a little bit threatened by it. I have a lot of friends working in the CRM world. Well, so so tell me how that can. I mean, I, 
To me, I would initially see VRM as something that an individual would employ uh, okay. to, to send signals. But so, how would that? How would a company's CRM uh, system be built to embrace that? I think the I think the first thing they should do is to, is actually you know a CRM company. If I if I were a CRM company, if I were running or advising, and nobody's asked me to, um, uh, Salesforce or Sugar CRM or or um, Oracle or SAP or Microsoft. Um, I would, I would, I would buddy up to the to the VRM companies and say, how can we work with? How can we equip our side to deal with your side? What are the standards you're using here? Mm-hmm. Are you using RDF? Are you using XDI? Are you, you know, are you, are, you know, are, is this JSON or is this XML or, you know, what what can we do on our side to match up with the work you're doing on your side? How can we, you know, um, how how can we make the tech you're working on? Work with what we're doing. If I mean, even even intermediaries like Google, for example. So with with Google Checkout, um, you know, it would be great if Google Checkout wanted to be not, or, and which is Google Wallet is now part of Google Checkout. Right. Um, you know, if if I take my Android phone or my iPhone, they're reluctant to support the iPhone for passive aggressive reasons. <laughs> um, but if you know, if I took my phone and and tapped it on 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 the Google Wallet thing at at Pete's Coffee or wherever else you see them, you know where where there would be a way that I could, for example, if I've changed my address, mm-hmm. I could communicate that through their system to everybody that signed up with them on the sell side. You know, hey sellers, um, we have a customer here who has changed his address. Here is a way that you can find out what that was, and we can intermediate here. Um, Google would, it is in a perfect position to participate in this. They're not willing to yet because they're such an advertising company. Right. But if you know the, the the problem right now is that the marketplace um, and all of the magazines and the rest of them are still in thrall of advertising as the answer to everything, and it's delusional. It's not, and you know there's a. But I think that, and, and I could say right now that some of the CRM companies, and I won't name names yet, but. Some of them are warming up to what we're doing with VRM and do want to reach out to VRM developers. And when they do, then a lot of the small companies and medium-sized companies that are your listeners can say, you know, oh, hey, Microsoft Dynamics or, you know, Oracle, SAP, what have you got that listens to our customers' VRM? Yeah, uh, yeah. And, and have them say, oh, well, we're working on that. Let's uh, let's work together on this kind of thing. You know, it seems like an obvious area, um, healthcare. Totally obvious, um, and and unfortunately, in this country, it's really so screwed up. It's really hard. Um, there's the, a problem with some industries. Um, banking and finance is another one. Telecom is another one that could be playing a really, really good role here. They, you know, they ha- already have a lot of information about customers. They're in a good intermediary position with customers. Um, they could totally get in the middle of this. And yet what they all do in their IT systems is buy from big vendors. Um, same is true with the government. You know, they don't want to roll their own. IT systems today are less roll your own than ever. They're much more what you buy from an Oracle or... Mm-hmm. Or an SAP, and if those companies aren't offering something that helps you out, you're just out of luck. And in many cases, and this is the big problem with healthcare, the systems don't get along. Right. So, 
So Hospital A, which has you know equipment from General Electric and um, and I, you know, um, a health data management system from IBM and um, and something else from Microsoft over here on 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 the on say the PCs and monitors they use. You know, there are these like Kiretsus of combined siloed company solutions that, you know, if one of them doesn't want to do personal health records, none of them are going to be doing it. And it doesn't matter if, if, the, if the patient shows up with, with a perfectly clean and completely sensible electronic medical record that they can share if, that, if the particular hospital they show up at doesn't want it. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, is that one of those things that, of course, this is, you know, this is moving a big rock up a big hill, but is that one of those things that the market just has to demand it and eventually eventually the market wins? Well, what's, you know, the, the market in, in the case of healthcare is very, very big. Yeah. Very, very complicated and very, I, and I, I think this is probably the right term, very metastasized inside. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> it's a perfect term. <laughs> I mean, it's it's more like it's it's just wickedly functional. All of us have have horror stories of various kinds. You know, I mean, my my mother died of bad data communication between two parts, brand new hospital that didn't get along. Um, you know, I was nearly killed a couple times, and that was in a good that 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 was Harvard's. But in in one case, I you know the the MRI that I had from one one MRI uh, lab didn't work on the, you know, PC running Windows 98 that they had at, at you know, at my um, gastroenterologist's office. I mean, it was just, it's ludicrous, you know, and all of these places are, you know, a Harvard teaching hospital or yeah. whatever yeah. matter. It didn't matter. I mean, they're great doctors, great people, you know, wonderful, caring system overall, but the system, but the physical, I mean, or the, I, I guess the, you know, the technical systems in the middle of them are really, they, they aren't built to get along, you know. I mean, when I started there, I, I actually came in, you know, I'm not a young guy, so I've got, um, you know, at that time I was in the late 50s and I had, I, I, I researched my entire background, I wrote it all up, I printed it out, I had it on disk, I brought it in, my, my new, uh, you know, general care primary physician, I think it was called, um, uh, set it aside and said, I'm going to need to take this orally. Can mm-hmm. you please describe this all to me? And there are liability reasons for that. Yeah, right, right. Bring in the insurance companies who actually have a vested interest in opacity. You know, they, the risk that they calculate almost depends on less than full disclosure by everybody. And if we had full disclosure, then, and every system knew everything about everybody, then, you know, you know, then we wouldn't be able to operate the system that we have anymore. It would be a completely different one, more or less like the public healthcare systems they have in the civilized world. <laughs> and, and I say that as some, you know, somebody who has pretty strong libertarian leanings in many ways. I'm, I'm a techie guy, and techies tend to be libertarians in right. many ways. But I don't see any way around in the long run. Um, a public system in which, the, which is centralized in the sense that every that we have one way of looking at data and one, you know, and the rest of it. So, uh, 
I want to I want to end up on one sort of different topic, but it's something I've heard you talk about is is that you know companies that get this, and I think there are a number of things you've mentioned, but I know I read this and highlighted this line that that uh, uh, companies in the intention economy um, welcome and respect free customers, and I wonder if you could uh, kind of take us out by sharing a, your thoughts on that. Well, I think that in the physical world, um, on the whole, we are free. You know, we are free customers in the sense that we are free individuals. You know, we're at liberty to do what we want as long as it's basically lawful and, and respectful of the society around us. And that is not what um, the the online system that that we've built so far um, recognizes. I mean, the, the you know, and, and on top of that, it's not what the mass marketing-based retail system that we've had for a long time Respects. I mean, if you listen to the language of of people working in CRM, for example, you know, customers are yeah. are consumers that you you target and acquire and manage and control and own. And score. I like that one too. You score. Yeah. <laughs> if they're prizes or <laughs> or slaves, and 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 this is no. I mean, this has been this case for the, the case for a long time. We we look at customers as consumers and. And and in a literal sense, we we are consumers, but but we do more than consume. We you know we are free and independent human beings, and and free customers have a hell of a lot more intelligence than than the cattle that the systems that we've built in the industrial age are are ready to comprehend and 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 are built to control. And it's going to take uh, in Silicon Valley. We talk about. A change that that's the level of a sex change, you know. Whereas that's a sex change for that company to do that. They're going to do a sex change in this thing. They're they are going to have to recognize that 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 the best source of intelligence about a customer comes directly from the customer, and the and the best customers are ones that actually want to deal with you, that that have real loyalty and not coerced loyalty, and for whom loyalty is not a card they carry in their wallet. It's something they actually feel. And it's something that they actually have, and and is a real relationship, and not and not just you know a record in a database. Um, and and we're you know we being business are not built for that yet. But I think inevitably, as as business begins to discover how much more valuable it is to get good information from customers that are actually ready to deal with you as human beings. Um, uh, that this is going to open up a much larger marketplace than the one we're contemplating right now. Uh, so awesome. that's, that, that's a beautiful way to take us out. Doc Searles, the intention economy, when customers take charge, if you don't read this now, you're going you're, you're gonna to have me telling you, I told you so years from now. Doc, thanks so much. This was a real treat for me to, to get to speak with you. There's certainly the Clue Train Manifesto. I'll be the first person to ever say this to you. It was a very influential read for me. Um, and so this was this was a real treat. I hope Hopefully we'll we'll bump into each other out there uh, on the road somewhere. Great. Right. Appreciate it. Take care.